hit it. Hello and welcome to Books, the podcast, the only podcast about books. I'm Tim. I'm Tom. And we are booksmen to the extreme this week because (laughs) Tom finished a book. Let's hear it for Tommy Reynolds. Yeah, I'm going to get a coupon for a free pizza at Pizza Hut. Hell yeah. Personal pan, baby. Any topping you like, limit one topping, and it has to be pepperoni. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, pepperoni, if you're going to get a topping and you eat meat, go for pepperoni. That's what I I mean, especially on a 1990s Pizza Hut personal pan pizza. That's just classic. Back then, they didn't have very many. I feel like they had pepperoni, sausage, onions, and peppers, maybe. Mm-hmm. I, like, I don't think they even had mushrooms. Maybe they had mushrooms. I don't know. I think our memory might be a little bit skewed because, like, that was stuff that we would never have even considered. Right. Like, I think you our parents I- just told us, like, there's pepperoni <laughs> or cheese. Which one do you want? I, well, I don't think they would even even had to like i mean i was not an adventurous eater as a child <laughs> i pretty much stuck with what i knew i liked especially when it came to pizza i wasn't like let me try a new topping like no <laughs> let me just have the thing that i already know is the most delicious thing i could eat tom uh i'm not currently at my home mm-hmm. but i'll be returning to my home in 2 Once days your wife time lets you back in yeah, exactly. She, uh, I tried to go back in last week. She uh, hit me on the head with a rolling pin. Well, you know, Tim, he deserved it. That's abuse, Tom, and I didn't deserve it. Um, <laughs> but what my my big plan I'll be back for- in my home in two days, sleeping on the couch. <laughs> my big plan for uh, my triumphant return to my home <laughs> and my cast iron pans. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm making a uh, 1990s style personal pan pizza from Pizza Hut in my own home. Uh, I've been watching a lot of videos about how to replicate (laughs) it. Um, I think I found the the one that I'm going with. Okay. And uh, it looks looks pretty legit. You know what I made uh, the other day that worked out? pretty great and it, it was a little bit harder than uh we suspected but in the end still uh it worked it was possible beer pizza dough okay was that did that make any measurable difference on on to the taste of of the the pizza the resulting no. pie well it was made that way out of necessity because it's impossible to find yeast Oh, okay. That's the okay. 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 So it was basically, you know, just flour, beer, a can of beer. Uh, I guess some, maybe some sugar and salt. Oh, and baking some baking yeast. powder. Hmm. Well, the yeast came from the beer, Tim. Yeah, I was. I was kidding. It was a joke earlier. What I was saying. Hey, relax. It's a joke. Hey, Tom. Why don't you get a goddamn sense of humor? I, mean, um, I was kidding. I was kidding. Uh, no, it tasted Jeez. like a little beery, but like in a good way. I mean, we had made beer bread 
before that and that tasted more like beer uh but oh my god it was delicious it was so good um but this uh this also tasted very good not as beery i think probably just because uh there was more ingredients like more you know bigger quantity of other ingredients and like the 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 sauce the the cheese the onions they overrode the most of the beer uh flavor and like a nice little hint of beer it was nice nice i have two packets of yeast in my at my home too oh yeah i think i'm gonna sell them for for a lot of money <laughs> you should use that yeast to make more yeast and then start selling that yeast mm, get a real yeast business going yeah I, I also so have set. I also have what? two bicycles, my wife and I, that oh, we never yeah. ride. And I <laughs> hear that uh that bicycles are going for, for a lot of money these days. I believe it because in New York City, I can't believe how many people are on bikes all especially as it's getting warmer. Yeah, you're sitting on a on a gold mine. Maybe maybe we could actually use the bikes though. <laughs> now that I now <laughs> right. that I think of it. <laughs> right. Maybe you'll need those bikes. Um yeah. But yeah, uh, beer pizza dough. Uh, search for it on Google or Bing or the search engine of your choosing. I just search for it, it on Duck Duck Goose. Duck Duck Go, not Duck Duck Goose. Um, it, it was very good. But I did buy some frozen pizza dough at the supermarket recently. So now I'm all set. Although that it always takes longer to thaw than I anticipate. Than I anticipate. You got to decide in the afternoon if you want a pizza for dinner. Yeah, I mean, I always want a pizza for dinner. That's the problem. So just set an alarm, Tom. Well, I'm excited to see how your Pizza Hut experiment works out. Because if it works yeah. out, Tim, I'm going to try it as well. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe I'll live stream it. Pizza Hut pizza is very good. It used to be. Yeah, I mean, do you think that's because we were kids and we just didn't, it was just like, this pizza's greasier. <laughs> I think there was some amount of that. And I think there was some, there was a, a lot of it, I think was probably psychological. That was like, I get my own thing. So, yeah, hey, yeah. mom and dad, you, yeah, you get whatever you want. That's fine. Look, I, we're at a nice restaurant here. <laughs> I'm going to order my own meal uh, any way that I want it. Uh, plain right. cheese, please. And if, uh, if you'd like to go peruse the salad bar, that's fine. I will not be. I'll be waiting here for the waitress to come back with my own pizza. And uh, unlimited refills of Coca-Cola. Yeah, and those nice and those red, red plastic, cups and those yeah. plastic. <laughs> those things are great. Hell Maybe yeah. they're... Man, I think... What? I think Pizza Hut in the 90s when I was like nine years old is the happiest, like it was the most comfortable I've ever felt, <laughs> the most seen. If only I could go back and award them a Michelin star, I would. And they had uh, the one that I went to at least uh, had a Simpsons uh, arcade game in, in the in the waiting area. So if you got yeah. there. And you had to wait for a table, which didn't happen all that often, but it happened. Yeah. You got a, you got a, you got a really great video game to help you pass the time. I would hate. I remember sometimes being at that one and also a ground round, which is another restaurant that was great. And uh, 
my parents like, you know, giving me a quarter or whatever and then them being like, oh, the table's ready. We got to go. And it was like, what? No, that's not an option. <laughs> I'm playing. <laughs> Why on earth? Like I the, the building could blow up and I wouldn't walk away from a game that I've already put a quarter into. And also, mom and dad, that's your quarter. You shouldn't want you shouldn't want that just squandered. Yeah, you're you're teaching me a bad lesson. Well, and also it's like whatever game I'm playing, I'm gonna be done in about ninety seconds. <laughs> like the, those games were meant to just eat quarters. Yeah. Um. Oh God, the ground round. Their claim to fame was uh, there were one or two nights a week where. Uh, your parents would eat and they'd pay, but um, then they put your child on a scale and <laughs> you only had to pay yeah. in cents their weight. So if your I child weighed about like that. 85 pounds, their dinner would only cost 85 cents. But yeah, and even if you had like a 400 creepers. pound child, you know, four bucks, that's still great. Yeah, but <laughs> that, that, that's hideous. That would not fly today. No. Having a child wait in the in the uh, like waiting area next to the concierge desk. Well, now we're gonna weigh your eight year old child to see how much you have to pay <laughs> in front of and all remember, these people. The slimmer they are, the the more cost effective it is for you. So yeah, so yeah, really incentivizing. No matter how much this meal winds up costing you, maybe don't let your kid finish it. <laughs> And we got popcorn on the table. Pop, yeah, popcorn on the unlimited popcorn. It just kept coming. Yeah, I mean, it, it was stale and definitely, uh, you know, it was old. Yeah, it was um, garbage popcorn. It was shit, but it was you know unlimited. When you were a kid, it was unlimited. It's like, please, Gaston, can you refill the popcorn, please? <laughs> well, and it incentivized the wait staff to get the meals out quicker. Because, you know, hey, the, the more time you take, the more popcorn I'm going to eat. <laughs> exactly. Well, they want they wanted to fatten you up because after after the meal. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. I guess it was all, yeah, cyclical. They won anyway. Mm-hmm. You may have it took longer for the meal to come out. That place, they had a lot of good arcade games. They always had the Ninja Turtles games, uh, the Simpsons games the X-Men games, like all the good uh, uh, beat-em-up fighting games. Yeah. I actually always wound up there on a Sunday night um, Mm -hmm. around 8 o'clock in the first couple of seasons of The Simpsons. It would be a real treat because they had TVs everywhere, too. Yeah, they had projectors. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. (laughs) The best world. God, if I could go back in time, I'd give that restaurant two Michelin stars. (laughs) I looked into opening up a Grand Round franchise a few years back. I remember that you came into money and you were uh, you were <laughs> you were doing some weird uh, some weird fact finding. No, I was just I was mostly curious. Uh, I didn't have enough money to open up, nor experience <laughs> to open up a Grand Round, and I don't know how many like eighties and nineties kids <laughs> uh, I could possibly have uh, uh, attracted. But what a great restaurant. I mean, you were out as soon as you heard, oh, we, we they stopped weighing children. <laughs> no deal. Never mind. Like, well, how, how are you going to attract children to come in if you're not uh, <laughs> offering to weigh them and charge them a penny a pound to eat? 
Tom, maybe instead of doing books of the podcast, mm-hmm. we should do like a more in-depth podcast where we open up a uh, a franchise of a, of a chain <laughs> restaurant um, yeah. and every week documents our progress and our trials and tribulations it's, it's just and bit, successes. Well, right now is a very good time to open a restaurant, I've heard. So uh, it's a great idea. Buy low, sell high, Tom. <laughs> We start it now, and then when things are back to normal, we sell it at a profit, and then we come back into the podcasting business. That's true. I wonder if you can negotiate some good franchise rates right now. Do you know what the franchise fee for a ground round is? No. $40,000. Yeah. I mean, but then you have to like build a restaurant and everything still, right? Yeah, all real estate and construction costs are the responsibility of the franchisee. There's a 3.5% monthly gross revenue royalty free f- yeah, but, royalty fee. Um but you and can 2% some of it off the books. Yeah, exactly. 2% <laughs> advertising obligation because of all that av- those advertising you see for the ground <laughs> round out there. Um, oh, say- and they also require you to spend $5,000 on a grand opening. Which I would oh, do anyway. No problem. <laughs> um, I would say, well, I remember they had a helium tank in the restaurant. They would uh, oh, yeah. blow up balloons mm-hmm. for you. Um, so we could get one of those. I also say we could do a lot of this off the books. And then when we report the income, we can say uh, we've only had children coming in and we've been charging them a penny a pound. That's why, mm-hmm. you know, that's why we're still going through a lot of food, but not bringing in a lot of profit. A lot of parents are just dropping their children off <laughs> to eat alone in our restaurant. <laughs> Honestly, it's a very big problem, Ground Round Corporate. And if you have an idea about how we could deter that, we'd love to hear it. <laughs> I think we should uh, definitely try to scam the Ground Round Company. And, I mean, arcade games are uh, very cheap nowadays, I feel like. Oh, yeah. Like as a kid, they were like the most impossibly out of out of your realm of understanding expensive. And nowadays you can pick them up for a couple hundred bucks. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. When we were kids, it was just like if I was ever a multi multi millionaire. (laughs) Right. I would not not if I mean, if I only had like five million dollars, of course, I couldn't afford a (laughs) Simpsons arcade game. But if I was, uh, you know, if I had eight figures uh, to my name, then, yeah, I could uh, afford to splurge on a Simpsons arcade game. Um, Taco Bell, uh, $360,000 cash required. I'm surprised because I've always heard McDonald's is a million and that was old. So I'd assume it's bigger now. Well, there's there's upfront cash and then... um, you have to have a certain amount of money. Um, you Assets. need to have a certain amount of liquid capital. Yeah. So for Taco Bell, you need two hundred fifty thousand dollars in liquid capital. Okay. But you're only paying three sixty up front. Oh wait, that's not true. A uh, million dollars in liquid capital. Okay, that makes sense. But you could probably just cash out some stock 
and be like, hey, look, it's all liquid. And then once they give you a Taco Bell, you go <laughs> right back into the stock market. Back in the market. And then if the market crashes, you have to close your Taco Bell. Yeah, then you just go somewhere else. Go exactly. move on to the next town. Open up a ground round. Taco Bell, they tried to open a... Ta- this is not an episode of Fast Food Friday, by the way. But Taco Bell tried to open up uh, restaurants in Mexico, and it didn't fly. No, it's not Mexican food. No, yeah, I mean, it's Americanized Mexican food. I'm sure if like somebody... Uh, if Panda Express tried to open up a Chinese, uh, like a restaurant in China, Chinese people would be like, what? This is garbage. It's just sugar food. Yeah. But also, everybody likes garbage. It's true. Like Taco Bell, the only problem is that, like, if they marketed it as, like, hey, Mexico, here's some Mexican food, they should have just yeah. been like, hey, Mexico, here's some garbage. Americans like this specific garbage. Maybe you'll like this specific garbage, too. It has some of the ingredients that you find in your traditional um, dishes. <laughs> but, but in um, a surprising mix, in a surprising <laughs> yeah, way. In a way that, that that is not authentic at all. But, you know, try it. It, it tastes great for garbage. There was, uh, by my co-working space, which I haven't been to in months now, uh, a Russian fast food chain that I kept meaning to go to. And I didn't even know that's what it was. I thought it was a real estate agency <laughs> all the time. And then all I Russian found businesses look like real estate agencies. And then I found out like, Oh no, that's a Russian fast food chain that, you know, has like very few restaurants, uh, in America, but, uh, uh, Terra, Terra mock Terra mook. It's called, uh, T E R, uh, T-E-R-E-M-O-K. The Ramok. Founded in 1998 by Mikhail Gorbachev himself. (laughs) It was! Goncharov. Oh! (laughs) Right. (laughs) I I beg your pardon. (laughs) Founded by Mikhail Goncharov. All right, Tom, first they of all, shouldn't be allowed to do hold that. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You are peaking so much. Get, get back from the microphone. Okay, You're sorry. screaming. You are, you are distorting. They shouldn't be allowed to have two guys with similar names in Russia, is what you're saying? Well, not that one of them is going to you know, open up a restaurant in America and it's going to be confusing. <laughs> you know, a guy's going to have a similar names to the only other Russian guy I've ever heard of. Now, this says that the New York City locations closed in 2018. How long that, has it been since you've been to your co-working space, Tom? You know what? It's still there. Maybe it's closed. Maybe it's just been closed this whole time. <laughs> Is the real estate signs for, like, space for rent? And that's no, why you thought it was a real no, estate maybe. agency? Uh no, oh, it's just closed. Closed today. Yeah, well, all the restaurants are closed today. It also says it's a children's club. What the, what does that mean? <laughs> children's we got a pizza club. gate situation on our hands here. <laughs> it, it certainly sounds like it. I mean, I don't want to start any rumors here. Permanently closed. Well, they're still there. I'm looking at them on Google Maps, and when I search for them, it comes up and it just says permanently closed. But I mean, it's still 
there, so I'm not wrong. Do you think it's operating as like a speakeasy? I mean, maybe not a speakeasy, but maybe Comrade a... Gontarov thinks <laughs> thinks we have closed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it but might now be we a... pay no franchise fee. It, it might be a front for something. This place has definitely been open when I've walked by it. I'm looking at maybe the in 2018. No, like a few months ago, it was open. I don't know. Very nice Russian restaurant. Cheap prices. Tasty dishes. Hey, Tom, did you read a book? I did, Tim. You know what? I finished it. Uh, it's called uh, Around the World in 80 Days. I think that might be the first time you've gotten the uh, name <laughs> the of the, name the book right. correct. Um, oh, hold on. I clicked something wrong. Everything's fine. Um, Everything's in Russian now. <laughs> they've infiltrated my computer through the zoom web server which maybe you'll hear about in this week's episode of our other um, show yeah our other show which uh, is called the complete guide to everything tim do you remember where we last left our heroes as they were going around the world silicon valley man well uh san fran san fran they got on a train so they're now on this train, uh, and there's this guy. Uh, oh, remember the guy that they got into like a tussle with at the um, uh, the political protest? Um, vaguely, I don't know. I was pretty drunk and lying down during a lot of the episode <laughs> last week. They got into. I think he punched. He punched Fix. Fix jumped. He was gonna punch Fog, and Fix like jumped in front of the fist and took it. Because he didn't want Fog to get hurt and delay his journey back to England. Wait, you told me about this? Yeah. Okay. What was my reaction? Was I into it? No, I think you were laying down by that point. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Well, (laughs) guess what? The guy who punched him, Colonel Stamp, he's on the goddamn train. Oh, no. There's a lot of coincidences happening. Well, some of the coincidences are just Fix following them and pretending that they're coincidences. Um, But this wasn't a coincidence. This just happened to be what's going on. And uh, uh, Passepartout sees him, and he's like, oh, Jesus, Like I can't let uh, Fog see this guy because, you know, what if they get into a fight again? And all hell breaks loose or whatever. And, you know, they stop the train. Like, I just got to keep him in his, uh, his, in our car here. They have like a private, uh, roomette, perhaps. You've been watching the show Run, right? Yes, on, on HBO. HBO. Yeah. A lot of it takes place on a train. Yes. And they have a, they have a, a, a sleeper car, but they keep saying roomette. That's and what Amtrak calls them. I know what that is, but, but why not just call it a room? Like when you're when you're talking to somebody, like, "Hey, let's go back to the room," instead of like, "Let's go back to the roomette." Well, I think it's because it's like a very tiny thing. It's like yeah, kind but, of not a room. I mean, yeah, it but is like, a room. It looks so nice. <laughs> I mean, it, it doesn't look so nice, but it looks like when you're traveling on a train, nice. Yeah, but you would never say, like, if you were on a train, you wouldn't be like, all right, let's go back to the roomette. I might. It's not masculine when to in, say that. <laughs> when in Rome, Tim, I might say roomette. 
I just called mine a room. I don't want to confuse the conductors. That's my job number one on a train. Once you confuse the conductors, all hell breaks loose. <laughs> well, you'll see. So their uh, uh, Passepartout's idea to keep them in the room is playing a card game called Whist. Do you know this card game? Whist? W-H-I-S-T. No. I had never heard of it before, too, and they explained some of the rules, and it sounds like extremely complicated. It sounds hmm. like the kind of card game that requires like 100% of your attention at all time. I mean, that's okay for a game. This says, although the rules are, rules are simple, there is scope for scientific play. Yeah, I think that that's kind of the way Passepartout is explaining it, where it's like you just have to like keep track of what everybody else is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, they get up to a bridge and the train slows down and they're like, hey, what the hell's going on? They're like, ah, the bridge uh, up ahead is too crappy. We can't go over the bridge. And they're like, oh, come on, man. Like we, we got it. You know, they're on a they're on a clock here. Yeah. How many days do they have left to get back? Uh, uh, At this point, uh, I don't have it in here, but I think it's like uh, maybe like nine days. Okay. Okay. Uh, Maybe two weeks, somewhere around there. But uh, they, uh, um, uh, I think it's fog convinces the, uh, the train, the, the conductor or whatever, the, the engineer rather. Like, you know what? Let's uh, let's just back the train up and bring it up at very high speed and go over the bridge. And they talk about how like uh, that there are stories of people getting trains up to very high speeds and just jumping over like rivers and stuff. And landing on the tracks. Yeah. And landing on the tracks. Um. Train travel is wild. Uh, they say the engineer is a true Yankee uh, and is like, yeah, fuck it. We'll do it. We'll try it. We'll do it live. Uh, a very funny thing. Like everybody gets excited about it. All the passengers and everything. <laughs> and past part two suggests, uh, well, why don't we do that? But everybody gets off the train and we can cross on foot afterwards. But like nobody hears them. <laughs> They're like, yeah, let's get back on the train and jump the train over the tracks. <laughs> Um, they get the train up to a hundred miles an hour. It's pretty fast for a train. Look, here's the thing. If back to the future three has taught me anything, it's that steam locomotives could not get up to a hundred miles per hour at the time, unless they had somebody like doc Brown making some very special, uh, wood that would burn incredibly hot to get a train to go up to 88 miles why per hour, you pushing assume, a DeLorean. Why do you assume that Back to the Future Part 3 is more scientifically accurate than Around the World in 80 Days? Because Back to the Future Part 3, the whole movie hinged on that. And this is yeah, just... Yeah, because it needed to. I this mean, they is had just one chapter. They had previously established that 88... Miles, miles per, per hour, hour was uh-huh. and was that a weird hidden nazi thing is that a, a... <laughs> no <laughs> i think it was just like we wanted to be near a hundred and let's have it be like a memorable number okay so i mean 
they would be forgiven to just like fudge that detail to make it extraordinary that they would have to go to great lengths to get a train up to 100 I miles. I think it's stadium. more likely that Passepartout is an unreliable narrator. And this is, I mean, he's not I think not Robert narrator. Zemeckis is an, I think uh, Michael J. Fox is an unreliable narrator. Look, back then, they didn't know how fast anything was. Yeah. The only way they could tell how many miles per hour something was, was to go a mile. <laughs> and time it. Uh, so they do it. They go over the bridge at 100 miles per hour. Uh, and right after uh, they get over, the bridge collapses behind them. Whoa. Like yeah. uh, in a road trip. I don't remember that part or anything in road trip. <laughs> um, so they, uh, chapter 29, uh, the, uh, this guy, the the colonel, Colonel Stamp. Is it? No. Yeah, Colonel Stamp. Uh, the guy that he, punched the guy? Yeah. They run into each other. And uh, uh, Fogg demands that, uh, quote, he shall give me satisfaction for it. Yeah, he he wants uh, to duel it out. And they're like, all right, there's a stop coming up ahead at Plum Creek. We got a 10 minute break. We'll we'll go out there. We'll have a shootout. We'll we'll duel. Um, And they're like, great. The train stops. They both go to get off the train. And the conductor is like, what are you two doing? All right. Well, we have a 10 minute stop. We're going to go shoot each other. <laughs> the conductor is like, what? No, we're behind schedule. We're we're not stopping for 10 minutes. We're like stopping to let people off. And then we're immediately starting. Like, oh, God damn it. Um, but the conductor uh, is like, hey, why don't you? Uh, I got an idea, though. We'll go to the last train car. And we'll clear everybody out. You can have a duel in that train car. <laughs> that way we can keep the train moving. And I'm like, oh, all right. Wait, who suggested that? The conductor. <laughs> wow. That's a lenient conductor. Would, yeah. I, normally I would think the conductor wouldn't want gunplay on his train. <laughs> you would think, but like, and they go to the car and they explain. And everybody in the last car is like, yeah, all right. Yeah, I'll move to the next car. These, these two guys are going to try and kill each other with guns. Sure. And the rules are. Uh, two, they're going to let them alone, lock the door. They've got two minutes. What happens, happens. <laughs> so they do that. And, you know, of course, like the people with fog that, you know, fix Passepartout and, uh, uh, what's her name? Ardu, Adu. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're all like, you know, on pins and needles, but guess what? Right as they're about to start the Sioux attack. Uh, the Native mm-hmm. American tribe, the Sioux. Mm-hmm. Somehow all the passengers are armed. So like everybody's shooting out the window at them. They're on horseback. Uh, Passepartout climbs under the train <laughs> to get uh, like a way to get to the, uh, the, the uh, engine. Mm-hmm. Everybody's fighting. Uh, chapter 30, the fight's over. Um, the the colonel colonel stamp uh it says quote he had fought bravely and a ball had entered his groin what does that mean i it was like a bullet oh okay yeah but you know it could mean the other thing the testicle yeah um hey when we're talking balls and groins i'm thinking (laughs) testes man (laughs) 
<laughs> there's for, uh Lord forgive me for for thinking that, but it's just the way I am. The um the engine detaches from the rest of the train to like get away. Um so they can't uh get the get the engine, I guess. I don't I, I forget why that and was leaving like a, and they just leave everybody behind. Well, no, that everything's still going along and it's actually coming towards a station where there's like a bunch of uh soldiers there. So they're gonna be okay. I think it was like they couldn't stop in time, but if they let everything go. I think they were worried about the Sioux getting on the train and commandeering it and being like, cool, now this is our train and we're not going to stop at that station, obviously, where there's a bunch of soldiers. We're just going to keep going. So this was a way to like prevent that from happening. An incredibly gruesome scene where they talk about flesh hanging from the wheels and red trails leading like all the way into the distance, uh, you know, due to this uh, shootout. They um, uh, get to the station. Nobody can find Passepartout or I think it's two or three other passengers. Phileas Fogg is like, we're going to find them. I vow to. And this is pointed out as like the most noble thing that anybody could have ever done where it's like, well, no, I mean, that's he's been traveling with this guy for almost three months. And these uh, these Sioux tribe has kidnapped him. Yeah, I think he should probably go and try and find him instead of just being like, ah, fuck him. I'm going to keep going. Eh. Um, the 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 general is like, well, I'm not going to give you a, a hundred soldiers. You know, they'll be walking into, uh, you know, a fight they might not be able to win. He's like, I'll give you 30 soldiers. Locomotive comes back. Couples back up in the train and is like, all right, we're going to go. So now it's like, well, shit, now the train's leaving and, and fog is going off into the desert to try and uh, find Passepartout. Um, they, he finds them. It, it takes like a day, but he finally comes back. Uh, Passepartout, it says Passepartout like f- uh, fell. A day? They only have 80 days. I know. That's one eightieth of their whole trip. Well, if you let me get to it, Passepartout said he felled three of the Indians with, uh, with his fists. Which I don't buy. I don't. I don't buy that. This you don't like, believe this guy at all. No, that this butler like just you know fought off uh, three Sioux tribe members that like you know they they're like warriors. I don't buy that. Chapter thirty one. Tom, I'm uh, gonna have to ask you to stop screaming into the microphone, please. Sorry. <laughs> You're Chapter- getting so worked up over this. <laughs> Chapter 31. Uh, they're now 20 hours behind schedule. Wow. So that's, so that's not bad. No, but I mean, that was like uh, fog going off. Right. Cost yeah, some but, time. But freaking Passport 2 saved his hide so many times. They'd be even further behind without him. Oh, of course. He owed it to him. Passport 2 such a like sniveling like kiss up <laughs> really well like anytime like fog does something like this he's like oh what a noble gentleman whose debt i could never possibly repay when it's like come on man have some self-respect yeah the dude's barely paying you a living wage <laughs> um 
So they're like, all right, what are we going to do? The next train's not coming through here for like days. Well, they find a guy named Mudge. <laughs> Mudge? Mudge. <laughs> nice. Guess what Mudge has? Mudge has a sledge with sails. <laughs> so they're in like uh like the the salt the flats. They're in like the salt flats. Mudge basically has like a giant um like sled with like sails, like a sailboat. That's like, cool. Yeah, and it's you know it's December right now, so it's the winter, and he's like, oh yeah, I mean you know this is the desert or whatever. It's flat as far as the eye can see. Uh, yeah, you can hop on this uh, on my sledge with me, Mudge, and I'll uh, open up the sails, and we'll just go flying forty miles per hour <laughs> across Whoa. across the uh, the frozen tundra here. And uh, I'll get you to, uh, I forget where it is. I think it's like Minneapolis or something. So I catch the next train. Uh, so they do that. It's very cold because, you know, they're going very fast uh, on across their frozen landscape. They get there. They They get to, I think it's Minneapolis or Cleveland or something. They get there they skip over a bunch of parts where they're just like catching trains and everything's going right. They finally get to New York to catch the steamer to Liverpool. They missed it by 45 minutes. God damn it. Yeah. So things do not look good. Tom, Uh, remember when you and I were going to go on that kite surfing uh, adventure? Yeah. Do you think our lives would have been different? Do you think one of us, probably me would have died? (laughs) there's a very good chance one of us would have died we were gonna do and it was just based on like you reading a national geographic in a doctor's office (laughs) yeah but like neither of us had much going on we had recently uh graduated from college neither of us had like a job that we were into Mm -hmm. and uh i was like hey nobody else is around do you want to just go on this weird uh kite surfing adventure for like i think it was like two or three weeks yeah, and it was like you're gonna kite surf from Florida like to different islands across the open ocean. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I've never been surfing or kite surfing, but that sounds like something I'm able to do. Yeah. Just should've, we should have done it. Stand on a surfboard for like twelve hours at a time holding ourselves up by a kite. I remember telling my parents, like, I think uh, I'm going to go on this kite surfing adventure. And they're like, oh, that's good. That's cool. Yeah. We're not going to give us a minute more of our time than we have to. (laughs) Of course you're not. (laughs) Um, So they get to New York, but they miss the the boat. And uh, they they stay at the uh, the St. Nicholas Hotel. I don't know if that's still there. Do you know? Santa's house? That's that's been uh, moved to the North Pole. Okay. I do well, not know of the St. Nicholas Hotel in New York. This was before he was priced out of Manhattan. Mm. Um, uh, Fogg's like, uh, I'm going to go to the docks, figure something out. He takes, he sees like a, he doesn't see anything that will work, but then he sees like a big steamship, like kind of out in the harbor. He like hires a boat. He's like, hey, uh, take me to that big boat. He gets on the big boat and then he's like, Hey, who's the captain? <laughs> Which like, I guess it's just a thing you can do on ships. And then he's like, Hey, uh, where are you going? He's like, I'm going to, uh, I think it's like Bordeaux, France, uh, Bordeaux, France. Uh, and he's like, uh, how about, um, 
you take me to Liverpool instead. And the guy's like, nah, fuck off. It's like, oh, I'll pay you a bunch of money. He's like, nah, fuck off. He, this is like the first time Fog can't use money to just like fix, you know, a, a rude problem. awakening. Yeah. So finally, he's like, I'll tell you what, I'll give you $2,000 uh, to take us to Bordeaux. Uh, Bordeaux. And he's like, $2,000 a person? And he's like, yeah, fine, whatever. $8,000 for the four of them. Uh, he's like, all right, cool. Uh, then they're sailing. Long Island and Fire Island both get shout outs. Nice. Uh, as, as they're sailing by it. Then all of a sudden, Fog is captaining the ship. And we're like, wait a minute, how is Fog captaining the ship? Well, we find out that he bought off the crew one person at a time once they got going and convinced them to lock the captain up in the in his cabin. So the captain is in his cabin you know, uh, banging on the doors or whatever, but they won't let him out. And everybody's being paid out. Apparently they didn't really like the captain anyway. And they were all for hire. So mm. He's like, Oh, what's he paying you? I'll double it and take me to Liverpool instead. And they're like, yeah, all right. Uh, they've got nine days to get there. Uh, Passport two makes friends with everybody uh, with his acrobatics. It says, which made me think like, Oh, Jackie Chan is Passport two. Makes a lot of sense now. Yeah. You, even though he's not French. You don't know that. Can I say something, Tom? The St. Yes. Nicholas Hotel uh, was in Soho in New York City. Um, okay. Uh, and you know what's there now? What? A lady footlocker in a chase bank. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> um, so they're going along. Fix now at this point is suspicious. He's like, we're not going to Liverpool. This guy's got some other plans. He's got something up his sleeve. This is all a ruse. We're not going to see the Beatles rock out at the Cavern <laughs> Club. Yeah, I don't think they are even a band yet. Yeah, um, they were called the Quarry Men at the time, Tom. <laughs> okay. Um, so they... Uh, uh, they're going along, but all of a sudden they realize like somebody comes up to fog and they're like, Hey captain, uh, we don't have enough, uh, coal. Like we only packed enough coal to get to Bardot. We don't have enough to get to Liverpool. And he's like, Oh, all right, just keep going. Whatever. And they keep going until it gets desperate when somebody's like, we're going to run out of coal today. So he's like, all right, uh, let, uh, let the captain, let captain speedy out of, uh, out of his cabin. <laughs> Nice. And people are like, let Captain Speedy out. Or are you crazy? Like, that's like letting a tiger out. It's like, do it. And, you know, of course, this guy comes out. He's like, well, you know, he's uh, really mad. Like a tiger. And, <laughs> right. And he stops him on the poop deck. And he's like, <laughs> and he's like listen poop. here, before you, you, you know, fly off the handle, I got an, uh, I got an offer for you. I will give you $60,000 for the ship, but I'm not actually buying the ship. What I'm going to do is this ship has an iron hull and then the top part is wood. I'll give you $60,000. to let me burn all the wood that the ship is made out of as fuel to get us to Liverpool. So he's like, you know, the ship you bought it for 40,000, like 20 years ago, 
So it's not worth that anymore. I'll give you 60,000. And when I'm done with it, you still get to keep, you know, the hull. You can rebuild the ship or whatever. So th- yeah, I don't know guy- how ship to work. I don't know if that's a good deal. <laughs> well, the guy, Captain Speed, is like, oh, all right. Yeah, I'll take it. That works. So they do it. Uh, they get to Liverpool and uh, past part two or not past part two. Fog is like uh, realizing he's going to lose $20,000 or 20,000 pounds at this point if they don't make it at, on time because he spent so much money. They step foot on li- in, in Liverpool. Fix arrests him. Ah, oh, dip. As we knew as, it was coming. As soon as they step foot on on English soil. Now, End of book. No, you, you would think, but it had more to go. Fogg's in prison. He's gonna get. Uh, <laughs> he's gonna get transferred to London the next day via train. Uh, I'm laughing because I I copy and pasted this part out of the book. Uh, quote: Pest Part Two wept till he was blind and felt like blowing his brains out. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> I didn't realize that was a phrase 150 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there, uh, uh, you know, every, all is lost. But then Fog looks up at the clock and realizes his watch is two hours fast. They've <sighs> got two more hours than he thought. Then the whole gang shows up at the jail and they're like, Fix opens up the gate or whatever, the door. And he's like, uh, turns out they uh, arrested the robber three days ago. What? Yeah. Fog, he wasn't even the robber? He wasn't. Fog reels back and socks him. Mm. And Fix is like, yeah, I deserve that. Um, Why? I mean, he had a warrant. He did the investigation. Look, people get wrongfully accused and imprisoned all the time. I mean, that, I guess not after the 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 suspect is caught, though. Right. The actual. Okay. Well, and most people aren't on this kind of timetable either. <laughs> um, it says fog. They go to the train station. Fog orders a special train, which I don't know if that's a thing or if it was just uh, you know Jules Verne got bored. You know, <laughs> it was just like hey, you get uh, Let's end know, this a special thing. train. <laughs> Let's wrap this up. <laughs> And there's a genie on there. And, uh... <laughs> I think it was just like, you know, uh, like a private train uh, to go from Liverpool to London. They get to London five minutes late. They missed it. Blows his brains out. <laughs> so now the next day they like go or that day they go to the apartment and like. It's like Fogg would have actually like more or less broken even, even if he did get the money, if he did win the bet, but he didn't. Uh, and uh, uh, everybody, uh, past part two and uh, uh, the woman, uh, Armand or Amond, I forget her name. Uh, they, she doesn't have much to do in this book. That's why I forget her name. <laughs> um uh, they're worried because they say uh, Englishmen fixated on a on a goal that is unreachable often commit suicide. Hmm. So they're all worried that Fogg's going to blow his brains out. Uh, Pass part two runs to his apartment, turns off the gas, which was a huge relief. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's my favorite part about this book. 
<laughs> and he like had a like a bill from the gas company already. He's like, oh god. Uh part two blames himself. Um uh there's no way Fogg can like skip out on this because he gave them a check. Like, here you go. Like, if I don't come back, you can cash this check. Um they uh uh him and uh the woman fog they're talking and uh the woman's like i'm uh would you want to be a kinswoman would you want me to be a kinswoman and a friend aka your wife and uh she tells him that she loves him and he's like oh i love you too great we're gonna get married tomorrow so it's like, all right, well, not all was lost. That's nice. These, these two lovers found each other. So then we find out that uh, uh, the next chapter, we we change perspective to like the rest of London. And we find out that like London society has been, you know, following this story like crazy. The the trip around the world, the big bets, other people have been. It's gone viral. It. It's gone viral. And we we are in the 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 gentleman's club with all the gentlemen as they're like, well, he's got 20 minutes and he's not here. We we checked with the train station. He wasn't on the train. There's no way he could be here in time. We checked yesterday with the with that ship that came in uh, from uh, or the ship that got into Liverpool. He wasn't on that ship, the big ship that came from New York. He's not here. Like we might as well wrap things up and, you know, call it a day, even though there are all these people, like hundreds of people in the streets waiting anxiously to see what will happen. It's like, well, he's not here. And they're like, well, we got to make it official. Let's wait. So they're waiting. And it's just like boring. Three seconds to go. Guess who walks in? The lights going. Ladies and gentlemen, your Chicago Bulls. Fog walks in with three seconds left. What? Record scratch. Huh? I thought he missed this. The final chapter breaks the fourth wall. And it's like, hey, reader, I bet you thought. That wouldn't happen. <laughs> well, guess what? Guess what actually happened? Uh, the two of them decide to get married, and uh, Passepartout is like, "Great, I'll go to the to the city hall or whatever and arrange." Because they're like, "We want to get married tomorrow." He's like, "Great, tomorrow Saturday, I'll go to the city hall, uh, arrange it." He goes to the city hall, and they're like, "No, tomorrow's not Saturday. It's Sunday. You can't get married on a Sunday. We're closed." Past part two realizes this runs back and is like, it's not today. Isn't Saturday. Today's Friday. You're not 24 hours late. You've got 10 minutes to make it there. They oh, realize wow. because they traveled around the world going East, they gained an extra day ah. that nobody realized. So they saw 80 nights, 80 sunsets. But in London, there were only uh, uh, 79 sunsets. Hmm. Science, Tom. Science saved everybody. 
Well, not I everybody. IFL Science. It's my favorite Facebook uh, community. I don't think that's a thing anymore. I think it is. All right. Well, maybe it is. So they get there. Uh, so it, they they it works. Uh, you know, they have 10 minutes uh, and he gets there. Uh, <laughs> well, so he gets there. He, you know, they run out of there. Uh, they find a cab and he pays a cab driver a hundred pounds to take him there. He's like a hundred pounds. Take me as fast as you can get there. This, this ruined the book for me because he takes him there so quickly on the way there. They run over two dogs. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> they run over. That's two not do- necessary. No, they flip over five carriages and it's like, all right, that's fine. Maybe those people in the carriages, they're fine. But no, you ran over two dogs. Those dogs aren't okay. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't necessary. Is it meant to show uh, how uh, the rich really uh, have no uh, regard for the consequences of their actions I think in the just pursuit of... Uh, I think 150 years ago, they just didn't give a shit about dogs. Mm. And it was just kind of like a funny thing <laughs> to put in there. <laughs> um, so he gets there. He wins the money, 20,000 pounds. Uh, he spent 19,000 pounds during this whole trip. And remember, he didn't rob that bank, so he doesn't have that money. Right. Uh, so the last thousand pounds, uh, he splits between Passepartout and Fix. And uh, why fix? You know what? He does it like reluctantly. He's like, you know, nobody has what he's like. I don't like you, but I respect you kind of thing. I think respect you for almost screwing this all up for me. uh, Well, yeah, for no reason. I think he kind of appreciated that. He was like, you know, I did punch you in the face after that. And you were kind of like, all right, I deserve that. Um. And uh, it's like at the end of it, he didn't win. You know, he didn't win any money at all. Uh, he broke even, but he came home with a charming wooden woman. And wouldn't you? And that, or, or wouldn't you do it for a charming woman? And that's how the book ends. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, <laughs> going Tim. around. The- just, just so we can break the fourth wall here for a minute. All hell's breaking loose on your feed. <laughs> what do you Our mean? video call ended. I called you back. I think you answered on your phone, maybe? Uh-huh. And then yeah, my you... iPad uh, ran out of battery. Okay. And then you laid down on your bed. <laughs> your headphones came off. Yep, so I couldn't lo- hear you anymore. I've been looking at the ceiling for, for a few seconds. <laughs> Yeah, no, I would, I would do that all uh, to, to, to meet uh, my wife, yeah. to not lose any money and uh, go on an adventure around the world. Yeah, I think I, mean, I would, was, Jules Verne. It, it was a very suspenseful adventure where, like, he didn't really get to see much. Yeah, he had some, he had some good times though. Yeah, I mean, he was. He never just... would have met that lady that whose name that we don't know. He was mostly just on a ship. Or on a train. Also, weren't didn't you believe that a big part of this book was flying in a hot air balloon? Yeah, did they never get in a hot air they balloon? They never got in a hot air balloon. <laughs> I feel ripped off. 
Yeah, I thought this was this was mostly a book about traveling in a hot air balloon. That's what I, I thought. thought. It was traveling I around the, the world trip <laughs> yeah, in me a hot too. air balloon. Yeah, what the fuck? We've been misled. I'm gonna get to the bottom of this. Why we think this? Yeah, because it just wasn't just the, the two movies. Yeah, it wasn't just the 2004 movie. Yeah, I can like, see the the 2004 movie being perhaps like more an adaptation of the former movies yeah. than the book that happens sometimes. Yeah. Uh, but I will say this. I love this book. It was great. A great adventure book. And I was like <laughs> genuine, <laughs> genuinely. In spite of the, the lack of hot air balloons. Yeah. But like genuinely uh Surprise for a book that's 150 years old and a translation from French mm-hmm. that like so many of the jokes work so well. Uh, that like past part two's like buffoonery really came through. Uh, yeah, I loved it. Good book. Yeah, I can't wait to see Jackie Chan act some of that stuff out. I, I might watch this movie too because, like, I'd love to see. Look, I love Jackie Chan. It's unfortunately and... against the rules, Tom. <laughs> well, I don't want to see Jackie Chan thinking about blowing his brains out, to be honest yeah. with you. Uh, but yeah, uh, an all around great book, uh, a great adventure. And hey, it's public domain. So not only can you find it for free, you can print it yourself and shove it right in a cop's face and there's nothing they can do about it. Yeah, do that. Walk up to a cop right now. Shove a like, homemade book in his face. <laughs> and, and, and demand to be arrested. All right. Well, um, Tom, uh, I enjoyed that book as well. I was reading it also. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's strange. You seem to be having a very hard time following it. Um, and yeah, uh, I enjoyed it. I didn't want to step on on your toes um, when you were explaining <laughs> well, it. You. So I was being an audience surrogate here. Um, but uh, we will be watching, or I will at least be watching, the 2004 movie starring uh, Steve Coogan. Yes. And Jackie Chan and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, and a bunch of other celebrities. To be, I I looked at the IMDb, which I would yeah. not recommend because there's a lot of uh, fun surprises. I think. Um, so we'll watch that. Talk about that. But yeah, I'm excited for it. Somebody was like, "You should watch the 1955er." I'm not going to do that. Yeah, sounds boring. I'm not going to watch an old movie. All right. I'm not going to watch a version of a movie that doesn't have Jackie Chan and Arnold Schwarzenegger in it when there is a version that has Jackie Chan and Arnold Schwarzenegger in it. Yeah. Sorry. That's just, that's just life. Life in the fast lane. <laughs> um, so yeah, next week we'll be talking about that movie and uh, we'll be putting up a poll soon to see what book Tim's going to read. Right. Great. A poll or, or are you going to uh, use a super vote to read something else? Ah, no, I'm we'll going to put up a poll. Week. We had talked about maybe reading a romance novel. Oh, right. Yeah. I, I started doing some research on romance novels. I'm not sure I could do this. <laughs> you know what happens no. in those books, Tom? Yeah, people fall in love. No, even 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 more than that. <laughs> even worse, you were about to say. <laughs> 
All right. Thanks for being a patron. Uh, We'll see you next week. Thanks. Goodbye. Thank you.